0: My name is Donna Rudolph. I'm the founder of Teeny Tiny Treatments. Welcome to Teeny Tiny Talks, a platform where we speak to individuals who are changing lives and raising children at the same time. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest, Dr. Armin Tarani. Dr. Tarani is a New York City orthopedic surgeon and a world expert in arthroscopic shoulder surgery. He is the founder of Manhattan Orthopedic Care where he has worked with team physicians from the New York Jets, the New York Rangers, and the New York Islanders. As if saving shoulders were not enough, Dr. Tarani is also an accomplished film producer together with his wife, Valerie. In 2018, they formed a film company called Precision Cut Productions. In addition to his two serious businesses, Dr. Tarani serves on several boards, teaches in medical school, and is an honorary surgeon for the New York City Police Department. He lives with his wife and two girls,
1: ages 13 and 16.
0: Hi, Dr. Tarani.
1: Hi, Donna. How are you?
0: Welcome. So I just want to jump right into what you do.
1: I am an orthopedic surgeon in uh, New York City, and I'm a proud uh, husband and father of two daughters. And on the side, when I have time, I uh, dabble in the film business.
0: So I know that you have a specialty in shoulders. How do you get into shoulders? Why not a knee? Yeah. Why not right. a, I don't know. How did you, like, what is it about that that was so appealing to you?
1: So I was interested in sports and that involves shoulders and knees mostly. And one of my professors uh, made me do a shoulder anatomy dissection. And the shoulder is one of the most complicated joints in all the whole body. There's so many degrees of freedom. And I just didn't really like that challenge. I like the fact that people of all ages get a shoulder problem, whether they're sports athletes, high level, or just everyday people. And so it would allow me to take care of patients, you know, between the ages of five and 95.
0: Do you look at it now, like when people come in with a shoulder injury or young or old, is, is, it, is it just easy for you? Is, it, is this no big deal? Are you like, okay, I can handle it? How do you get the confidence to finally say, yeah, yeah, I got this?
1: Number one is being fortunate to be well-trained. And then while I was doing the shoulders in residency, I wanted to look for a shoulder fellowship. And I was lucky enough to be picked by the foremost pioneer in arthroscopic surgery of the shoulder. Arthroscopic being the more minimally invasive surgery as opposed to the open surgery where we have to make an incision.
0: Are you using like robots?
1: So instead of using a robot, there's a camera. It's about the size of this pen. Okay. So look inside. That goes inside the shoulder and then this attached to a TV screen. So I'm just watching the screen to see where I am and then I do my surgery or and I'll put other instruments, you know, inside so that I can work. So there'll be some that go this way, some that go oh. that way. That's a lot of fun. It's like playing a computer game. It's just in the body. <laughs> yeah. And what's great about it is this This pioneer, Steve Burkhart, he designed a lot of the techniques in how to do the surgery. Instead of doing it open, you do it with the scope, better for the patient. And I said, this is what I want to learn. And after a year with him, doing essentially an apprenticeship, that gave me tremendous confidence.
0: Are people yeah. doing that now? Is that a, well, it's a common? Yeah,
1: we well, we've been trying to teach it. We, we're all, te- including myself, we try to teach these newer arthroscopic techniques because they're so much better. So now they're commonplace. But the other thing is I found, and I tell patients this a lot, the more of an expert I become in a field, and right now my practice is exclusively shoulders and knees, and then within that just arthroscopic surgery of the shoulder and knee, the more of an expert I become, the more humbled I am about certain cases that come, I'll come across. That I've never seen before.
0: So like give me an example.
1: I will have had a patient who has their shoulder operated on. I operate on a small joint there called the AC joint and the patient comes back and has pain still in that area did I, I always blame myself first and I said, okay what could, what did I do wrong? what can I, how can I learn from that and do a better job And so I remember this case I talked to some of my buddies and I, I even sent the patient over. I said, I trust these other surgeons, please have them take a look. Maybe it's something coming from the neck. Maybe it's something I missed. But then also realize you can't cure everyone. You can't fix every. You can't give everyone a perfect result, no matter how hard you try and no matter how hard the patient tries. So it's very humbling. You know, we don't, I would submit that we know the knee fairly well. We still are learning more and more about the shoulder. It's important to be humble in everything in life, especially as an expert in the human body. E-
0: Even though you know they have like come so far with shoulder technology, is there still a ways to go? And are we headed in that direction?
1: Oh, most definitely. Uh, first of all, these academic institutions have surgeons that are just spectacular in their desire to be innovative. Their intellectual curiosity is very high mm-hmm. and they're looking for ways to make things better. Number one, because it's a great attitude to have. It feels great to figure new things out and with technology advances, they can. Right. But I think it's important for the patient population to realize it's still an art. Yes. Medicine is not a science, it's right. an art. We're trying to make it a science, we try to be as scientific as we can, but we have to boil it down to the relationship is between the surgeon and each patient, and each patient is individual and different, each surgeon is individual and different. It's not math.
0: Is your job, would you say that on some level there's a spiritual element to it?
1: Absolutely. There's no question. I mean, over the last few years, down I've become also a part-time therapist. I know that it's important to gain and earn trust. Maybe the problem is not coming from the shoulder, but some people might um, their their stresses could sometimes exacerbate the shoulder condition that they already have. And so, if I can help both the mechanical shoulder problem and help them with the other issues that they have involving that, not only do I help their shoulder better, but I help their mind and their heart better. So spirituality is very, very important to me. And it, it's important to respect the spiritu- spiritualistic attitude of each patient, which is different in each patient. Right. Sure. I,
0: you know, I've always said, I mean, a little bit tongue in cheek. I think I would have been such a great doctor if I could have gotten in into medical school based on emotional intelligence and not on an MCAT score because yeah, 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 I've yeah. never gotten in. Is that something that's now being taught? Because you obviously have it. It's natural to you. You have a beautiful bedside manner, but so many doctors don't. Sometimes I want to say to some doctors, you should have gone into research. I know that you're also a teacher. Is that something that you try to teach those students?
1: There's no question that there are multiple types of intelligence. I think some admissions committees for some medical schools will try their best to assess someone's emotional quotient. So someone's level of empathy, do they think this person that they're bringing on board to educate, to become a physician, will be compassionate enough, will have enough of an EQ to really be able to heal the sick? That's definitely not easy to do. I feel as though, yes, compared to when I applied for medical school in 1990, the attempt for admissions committees for medical schools to try to understand the human being and the human aspect of the student has gotten a lot better.
0: Do you find generationally, there's a difference, the attitude that they're bringing into medicine?
1: Yeah, it's definitely harder now, but in a way, you can connect even more easily. Hmm. You know, Zoom is a perfect example. We jumped on doing telemedicine way before COVID hmm. because we realized, oh, we'll, we'll know how to let a person know we care about them through Zoom, just the way you and I are communicating, right. if that works better for them. I think that we, who are in the older generation of physicians, should feel obligated to educate the new physicians. I I like getting them while they're really young. I have high school students uh, in a pre-med mentoring program that I started many years ago. I've got ninth and 10th graders. I'm happy if they're really interested to rotate in my office.
0: Do you allow them in surgery? Yeah,
1: if they're old enough. They have to probably be juniors or seniors. I want their parents' permission. I usually talk to the parents beforehand, kind of semi-interview the parents to make sure that it's going to be a good fit make sure it's worthwhile for them and they're in the right position. When I'm teaching them at that age, I want them better to understand what it's like to be a doctor.
0: Right. And
1: the importance of understanding the things you brought up, which are empathy, communication skill, emotional quotient, And how incredibly valuable and important that is sometimes it just takes a mentor to instill and inspire the person to say i want to do that i want to be like you mentors my father uh first and foremost i actually don't think i wanted to be a doctor i think i just wanted to be like him my father's a urologic surgeon he would not only take care of his family he sent money back to the old country for his parents Every brother or brother-in-law and their family would live with us and we'd take care of them before they were on their way. I said, this guy's amazing. I just want to be like him.
0: What do you think is the most challenging part of your job?
1: I'm a sensitive person. Uh, I tend to always look at the good in people and I always will. And, you know, sometimes you do that and you get burned. That's tough. uh, I have to say, and, you know, it's almost like I've developed a thicker skin over many years, but I don't really want it to get too thick. Yeah, I, I'm proud of it being not too thick right. because it, makes, it allows me to be less cynical, more like more of a good caregiver. If it means you get burned every now and then, that's okay.
0: You say that you are an optimist?
1: Oh, no question.
0: Is what? that something you would say you cultivated or something you're just born with?
1: It's a combination. Yes, I'm a positively oriented person, but I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying. And that comes with maturity. We never know what's going to come our way. We never expected a worldwide pandemic. I never thought something like that would happen. So what's the silver lining? I get to be closer to my wife, closer to my daughters than ever before. We handle the the trials and tribulations we have together. And I'm a better man for it. No question.
0: If you could give your eighteen-year-old self some advice, what would it be?
1: Find a, th- a therapist. Who <laughs> find a therapist who could be an objective person, so that any stuff that I need to clean up that's going on with my family and my <laughs> friends, he or she uh, could say, "Okay, so this is what you're feeling and is going on subjectively. Let me tell you, in my objective opinion, what's going on objectively."
0: Do you think everyone should go to therapy?
1: I thought, well, my relationship with my parents is so good. I have good friends. I'm honest. What do I need a therapist for? And then my wife, she said, it would be really good. And I said, you know what? I'll give it a try. And I'm so glad that I did. I'm also trying to educate others who find there's a stigma. In many ways, it actually means you have the courage to open up about issues you're afraid or embarrassed to open up about. Therapy is good for everyone.
0: Why do you think orthopedic surgery has been predominantly
1: men? I'm sure there's plenty of chauvinism that was happening just like in so many other fields in the world. It's a boys club, right? You know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, I was worried that it would only be a boys club of people that don't look like me or don't have my name. The way the world is changing, more and more orthopedic residency program directors have either come to realize or have had enough female applicants to say, "Wow, this female applicant" Is better than the uh, these other male applicants, and the and the issue of male or female become le- became less relevant. Um, plus, we started getting some female orthopedic surgeons, pioneers, thank goodness, who became fellowship uh, residency program directors. Hmm. You get more residency program directors. Guess what? They're going to be less likely to maintain a boys club uh, type of program.
0: What do you do for self care?
1: I mean, I'm 51, so it's important for me to to uh, stretch a lot. I find that that's been really, really helpful. Time to meditate. You know, I try to practice my breathing. Being self-aware when the stress level's going up. Yeah. Either because of home or because of work. Hmm. You know, we're human. We, we need to take breaks. And so definitely in orthopedics, there is more of a push to educate and teach about a work-life balance. I teach it to my our girls now. You know, they need to too much homework. work. I don't know why the hell they're getting so much homework, But if you're getting slammed with all these academics and you're not getting to bed until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, there's nothing good about that.
0: Let's yeah. talk a little bit about parenting.
1: Sure.
0: So you have two girls, and you grew up in a house with all boys. You, re- you had your own boys club growing up. You're one, of, you're, one of, you're one of three boys. What was that transition like? And um, would you say that your wife had a lot to do with sort of easing you into how it's going to go. So
1: my brothers are, two, I have two brothers they are seven and nine years younger than me. And <laughs> I just assumed that when we started our family, that I would want a boy, probably also fear-based. And I remember when we first found out that we had, we're going to have Jackie, my first instinct was, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can tell you within five minutes, it started getting better and better and better. And my wife was my savior. She said, honey. That's not that may have worked on you between your mother and you That ain't working on on your first daughter. Second girl, another blessing. You know, that was I had a little experience then. So it was a little easier for me to do. My role is to raise them right. And I have to create the boundaries. The point of creating the boundaries is because I expect them to cross the boundary. That's their job. Right. That's OK. So but I have to But the boundary has to be created in order for them to cross
0: it. Both you and your wife, your wife, uh, you know, she's a very successful actor um, and is working all the time. You work all the time. How do you balance? How do you take care of two girls? I know it gets easier because your girls are a little bit older. So they yeah. can probably get in an Uber by themselves at this point. Or, but how did you, how did you do that?
1: Uh, yeah, so early in my career uh, in private practice, I told them, and I'd like to focus less on fracture call because it requires you to work at night and on the weekends a lot and focus more on my elective practice, meaning see ne- knees, see shoulders that come into the office electively, because that allows me to then choose my hours, right? right. Not only I lost the revenue from them taking the fracture call, for which they pick up fracture cases and increase their business, right? but I paid them for the luxury of doing it. And so it was great as number one, I had time to come home. Number two, I could build my practice uh, in another place and I had more time to grow that elective practice because if I'm less exhausted from taking fracture call at night and operating on people two in the morning or taking weekend call I could focus more on building my own private practice so I've been able to be home and dinner at the t- table together sacred
0: I was just going well. you what's sacred dinner at the table together dinner at the table
1: no phones honesty um, being honorable admitting your mistakes when you make them.
0: What would you say is the most challenging part of raising children? And it could be particular to yours. You know, I have some kids who make some things harder.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Some Uh, of them like really just, you know, pouring salt on the wound.
1: My instinct reaction to something that one of my children has said or done is not always the appropriate one. I'm the adult.
0: Do you think some Um, of that came from um, your upbringing
1: I suppose we have to make sure that we are, we keep our emotions in check so that we don't take what they're doing personally.
0: Is there anything that you're doing differently in your parenting than your parents did?
1: Oh, big time. I thought, I, I, I felt as though my father was so busy taking care of his practice and his family. I wish there was more time for just me. And so one thing I vowed to do was try to spend what I call one-on-one time with the girls. And I, oh my God, I cherish those times so much. Um, I am more sensitive to what my kids' needs might be. It was much less of a dialogue. Right. Hey, this is, now my attitude is, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I think this would work well in your situation. What do you think? I have to work hard to make sure I communicate it well. Right, And then if I do, and then you learn how to be a confident young woman.
0: Do you find that social media, like, what's that like for you? What is it like with teenagers? And is it scary? And how do you manage that?
1: Well, middle school for girls is brutal. I am absolutely sure after having spoken to many others (laughs) about how insane this is.
0: $10 million. I wouldn't go back to middle. I just wouldn't. There's no amount of money. To send me
1: back to middle school. Donna, it is it is so hard for these <laughs> poor kids, especially girls. I mean, right. you know, I don't think middle school was so great for me either, but it, but right. it, but it's pretty bad for girls. Yeah. The problem with social media is that there's a lot of uh, lack of genuine behavior. So a lot of people are putting on a show right. that are in middle school, that they're having the best time of their lives during COVID, right. which couldn't be further from the truth.
0: Right.
1: And so I say to the girls, shut that stuff off. They're not. It's a there is no chance.
0: Yes. Yeah. And all
1: those kids yeah. are living those lives the way you think they are. Right. So don't even think about it. And if they are, good for them. Why the hell do you need to watch that?
0: Right. Because
1: that's not helping you feel better. And, and
0: why are they wasting their time posting it if they're Correct. having such a good time, right? Correct. I don't, know, I don't even you, have time to send yeah.
1: a text message? Why aren't you just having a good time? Why do you have to? Why do you have to display it? Right. Uh, is that for because you need that? You right. need that love and attention and you need that acceptance from others. That's okay. You know, but right. just go so enjoy that, your life.
0: That's just a tape. Like you're constantly saying that to them, right? Trying to.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, that's why Facebook has the, the button like on it. Because right. it's like a dopamine drug. Yeah. Yes. You know, that you get sometimes is it important to, would you like, would I like to share something great with my friends and family? Once in a while. Yeah. But not on a regular basis. Right. Right. You know, right. Go to work. Go to yeah. school. School yeah. is work. Go do your job. Right. Make c- communication is great. Social is great. But guess what? Stay focused on what you need to do. Keep the drama to a minimum as much as you can. Right. And That's I like true. drama, Donna. I'm pro drama.
0: Yeah. But right. To
1: a certain right. extent. Right. Right. Not if it's gonna. Not if it's gonna steer you into a negative direction. There's no need for that.
0: Right. No need. Right. It's yeah. so hard. I think it's, it's, it's really hard. we're all in in. To be from 12 to, I would say, 17 nowadays, Ugh. to be a female is just brutal. It's brutal. I'm going to do a quick speed round with you. What is the last book you read? Do you read?
1: Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Uh, I was reading this um, this book, What the Dog Saw.
0: What is your go-to app?
1: Honestly, my favorite app of all time is by far ways.
0: What would you say is your best parenting hack. I'll give you an example. Um, My best parenting hack, uh, I guess when my kids were young, I would put, one of my children hated getting dressed in the morning, so I would put them in their clothes at night and they would sleep in them and wake up in (laughs) them the next morning. (laughs) You just had to, you know, it's like survival, survival. (laughs) Like, that's fine, these are your pajamas. And then we would just put them in the car for sleep. Uh,
1: I guess my best parenting hack, honestly, is that And this is not so not as cool as yours, but the ability to get them out of the damn house is. I I give them time, and when we have to go downstairs, I very loudly open the front door, and (laughs) and I pound my feet towards the elevator and hit the down button.
0: Yeah,
1: they hear all that, and it's like a Pavlovian response. They're like, (laughs) "Uh oh, yeah, (laughs) Daddy is leaving. We better get moving (laughs) because." there's going to be hell to pay.
0: What is the best show that you've watched in 2020? Binged.
1: First one that comes to mind that I really loved was The Queen's Gambit. Like I love it so much that I'll see it again. That that storytelling was really, really spectacular.
0: Correct. Correct. Armin, thank you so much. This has honestly been amazing. I've gotten so much out of this and I know everybody else will as well.